Reading Room, a literary podcast devoted to the works of Appendix A. Here we open the library doors of the Sanctum Socorro to you. Welcome to the Sanctum Secorum Reading Room. Whether you're new to the literary world of Appendix N, a diehard fan of the genre, or even just tuning in to see how certain titles tie into a particular set of role-playing games, we invite you to join us as we dive into the history and influences of Appendix N. We'd like to open our library to you and inspire readers to explore these new worlds. I am Keeper Bob, and with me, as always, is Keeper Jen. Good evening, everyone. How are you doing tonight, Jan? I'm more awake than usual. That's good. Okay, so we average out. That's good. That's good. Uh, I'd like to take this moment to uh, to remind folks, as we are live on Twitch, that you can use channel points uh, for things like random facts, making Jen sing a song. Bob doesn't say that. Oh. Yeah, that, that, that ain't happening. <laughs> uh, and of course, later on in the show, when we're doing our polls, you can use it to stuff the old ballot box. So, that in <laughs> mind. Asking you shall receive. <laughs> well played, Ghosty Squid. All right, all right. Well, I've got a random fact for you. Uh, let me uh, hold off on that, hold uh, on that random fact for just a second. And, no, uh, that's cheating. No, no, it's not. Because uh, I've got the perfect fact for this. So mm-hmm. let me just say that tonight we delve into the, first, the Chronicles of Quorum, The Knight of the Swords, by famed author and friend of the show, Michael Moorcock. Jen, why don't you tell us about The Knight of the Swords? Because you're going to cheat and insert your trivia there. <laughs> and it's not cheating if I've got a fun fact. <sighs> okay, so Chronicles of Quorum, Knight of the Swords. Quorum is the last survivor of the Vodok race and an incarnation aspect of the Eternal Champion, a being that exists in all worlds to ensure there is cosmic balance. Prince Quorum of the Scarlet Robe sets out on a personal crusade against the sword rulers, Lords of Chaos, puppet masters to man. First of these is the loathsome Arioch, Knight of the Swords, master of five of the 15 planes of reality. From Arioch, Prince Corum only requires his heart. Dun, dun, dun. All right. So, fun fact Corum Jelaine Irsay, I think is how it's pronounced, is an anagram of another uh, Michael Moorcock leading character, Jeremiah Cornelius. Ah, which is very interesting. Um, it's Cornelius. Quite- actually predates quorum by two years in publication yes yes it does of course we are we're talking about the work of michael john moorcock born december 18th and uh in in 1939 (laughs) and unlike everyone else on appendix n is still alive and writing uh when we said friend of the show yeah we had him on the uh on the show back for Sanctum Live episode three last year. 
So if you want to get to know him a little bit better, that would be a, a great place to start. So um, this is what first of this was first in in the corner. trilogy, the first trilogy of two trilogies. So this was the uh, the Prince of the Scarlet Robe, also collected as the Book of Swords, not to be confused with the Saberhagen series. Right, and then they compiled the first three books into the Swords trilogy, followed by the next three, which are the Chronicles of Corum. Right. But you can refer to the overarching thing as the Chronicles of Corum, and people will still basically understand what you mean. Well, and it's it, for us. <laughs> it's even funnier that the the entire trilogy, uh, the Knight of the Swords, the Queen of the Swords, and the the King of the Swords, were all released in 1971. Knight won an August Derleth Award in 1971. Queen was nominated in 72, and King won in 73. But they were all originally <laughs> published in 1971. So, oh, so weird. Yeah. Yeah, and he won a total of four August Sterleth Awards, which is pretty impressive. Oh yeah, I think uh, the second the second series won a couple as well. But again, the the second trilogy didn't sweep. Um, right. Um, yeah, he's also Corum uh, is also known as Corum of the Silver Hand, as well as the Prince in the Scarlet Robe. So, googling any of these can get you a, a pretty good overview of the book, but. Uh, Oh no, I gotta say, I uh you you know me, I, I'm a fan of audiobooks sometimes, but then when graphic audio gets their hands on it. Graphic audio presents a movie <laughs> in your mind. Um uh, I admit I listened to this repeatedly in the past two months. Um, uh, like at least three times. And I would Listen to it again. I'm now anxious to find book two in the same format. And it's why I'm comfortable with the pronunciations of things like Vardog. Sure, be that way. Vardog race. Yeah. Well, I, you know, everything graphic audio does tends to be fantastic. And you're right, listening, you know, listening to uh, the, the first book and all of the all six quorum books have been released by graphic audio uh, but but listening to that yeah. first one is is so great because it's a full cast audio so it is it is a different experience from reading the book oh, but uh, <laughs> but it is also very very enjoyable if you're going to talk oh, yeah. about pronunciation i'm going to point out that you know I, when i started reading this I'm like wow this this feels like very ancient celtic and it's, it's it's using like if some of these words are Cornish, and I'm like, well, that's that's, that's kind of ooh, that that that's sort of tough. And in the introduction to the the White Wolf published version that I, I just held up, um, Moorcock reveals that the story owes that background to an exceptionally wet Cornish August, when the most interesting book he had was the Cornish to English dictionary that had no corresponding English to Cornish section. So he had to literally go through everything and try and figure things out. And uh, okay, that, that's and really funny. Okay. Certainly, certainly the, the, uh, the influence there shows. And then it was also further inspired by the works of people like Sir Arthur Quiller Couch and uh, Daphne du Maurier, uh, who were, were, 
Cornish, Cornish residing authors. And, and so he really does embrace that, that uh, ancient or proto-Celt background for the stories. Right. And, and I admit it's a little bit odd to see the words in print now. I'm like, oh, is that how they were spelling it? Whereas most people reading it would have the 180 experience, right? Wait, oh, is that how you pronounce that? I always thought it was this other weird Celtic Gaelic sort of thing. Yeah. Well, there's a fair <laughs> cop that that uh, reading Gaelic is is like, I, I don't know. It's like the Using a game of, of Scrabble? Well, it's like the <laughs> aftermath of an anything goes game of Scrabble, right? I mean, you know, Fair. That, that word has four G's, an H, and an apostrophe. Pronounce it. Mm-hmm. And it starts with a K sound. It, it can be very, very confusing to, to look at it. So hearing it first uh, was probably helpful as I'm sitting there trying to sound things out and going, why? Why am I bothering? I know that I can't sound it out this way. It, it it's like Norse. It doesn't it doesn't sound anything like it looks. And and the word was it uh Shifano is how they were pronouncing uh demon. Well, that's, actually, that's that's essentially uh, pronouncing it the way it's spelled, so I don't know if that's right or not. because <laughs> uh, of course uh Mabden is is human beings, right? Uh, right. So it's, yeah. Well, and I'm not usually a fan of uh, graphic novels either, but now I'm actually interested in the series that First Comics published. Uh, They did adaptations of the entire series between 86 and 89 in uh, monthly releases. So now I'm like, I really don't want to start collecting comics, but here I am. Um, yeah, we already have some Fawford the Grey Monster comics from DC. So, really, would it be so bad to add some Michael Moorcock comics from first? Just, just saying. As, as long as it's Corum, I will state right out: I liked Corum more than Elric. Sorry. No, I, I, I totally get it because Corum is well. Corum's in a lot of ways is more likable, right? He is. He is not one of the forces of chaos. He's he's just seeking balance in the world, which makes him very, very different from uh, from Elric. And really different because of all of the incarnations of the Eternal Champion, um, Elric came first. He was first published in 61. Uh, Then Dorian Hawkmoon was first published in 67. Uh, Jerry Cornelius, who I, from what I understand, it's a more modern setting. Ultimately, he's revealed to be like a London teenager or something. But those writings were just, that series started just two years later in 1969, followed by Eric Cozy in 70 and Coram in 71. And then apparently uh, Von Beck was 10 years after that. So you've got six facets of this eternal champion that is, oh, well, plus Kane of Old Mars, if you really want to throw that one in. Um, yeah, I, I'm, my head is spinning with the amount of reading ahead of me. <laughs> well, I, I mean, all, all of it is fantastic, but the nice thing is you don't have to read all of them to, uh, to, to get the general story. Although, uh, to be fair, Corum 
does make a few appearances outside of, of his series. So right. once, once you read these, when he pops up elsewhere, because there are some, there is some cross-pollination between the, the various facets of the Eternal Champion, so you do get to see them in other places. Oh, right, and, and Moorcock made no secret of the, no, they're all intertwined. And, and oh, yeah. I mean, that in a way, that's kind of cool, because then you're able to revisit whichever character might have been your favorite at one time. And they get to make that cameo in there, and you, know, you can kind of feel the tone shift a little bit in the writing. And then they're gone again. And <laughs> well, and and as was announced last year, there is an Eternal Champions series in uh, in development. I want to say it was for Apple TV. Huh. Uh, it was either Apple or Amazon because because we, we when we talked to Michael Moorcock. He was able to talk a little bit about it, and he was kind of chagrined that he had been, you know, sworn to absolute secrecy, and then they just you know, started talking about it. So he was able to talk about what they had said, yes. which, <laughs> which wasn't so that didn't give us anything new. It just gave us gave us the same information, but in Michael Moorcock's voice, which made it more fun. Um, so hopefully, you know, we will eventually see Quorum on the screen. Oh, that that would be really interesting. I mean, this guy's been writing since 1956. At least that's when he started professionally publishing or get, having things published. Uh, and it's been interesting to see his writing style evolve through the years. So, yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, I enjoyed the graphic audio. I, yeah, I, I, I could enjoy getting a visual with that as well. Yeah, and I mean, and, and the books themselves aren't incredibly long. I mean, the at least in again in in the uh, the the, the there we are, the White Wolf version that I was reading, the the books all clock in at about a hundred and fifty pages. So they're not they're not incredibly. Oh, long. that is that is the first compendium then. Um, well, this is the Coming of Chaos. So this is, I believe, yeah, it is it is the first three, the Night, the Queen, and the King. So it's the book of it's, it's the swords trilogy. <laughs> yes, but but they call it the coming of chaos because because you have to be unique at some point. Yes. So, but <laughs> yeah, it, it's really good stuff. And uh, well, let's I, talk about the book itself then. Well, I mean, we we talk about the book, and I'm kind of curious for uh, for the folks that are are with us in chat. Um, of of the various guys of the Eternal Champion, I'd be very curious for people to uh, to chime in with who their favorite is. Uh, <laughs> pretty, okay, I'm pretty sure that Shakespeare is not is not amongst the uh, the Eternal Champions. That's that's kind of funny though. But yeah, diving diving into into the book right off the bat, the the opening prose in in the prologue is glorious. You know, it, it sets up this really strange world that we find ourselves in with oceans of light, cities in the sky, wild flying beasts of iron and herds of crimson cattle, right? So it, it, it paints this very vivid combination of weird fantasy and yet uh, with, with elements of science fiction in a, I would say almost in a, in a Vancian fashion. Except it's described, so it's not Avancian. <laughs> yeah, it's um, the opposite of Avancian. Uh, yeah, it's... And Coram himself, I mean, 
he clearly shares some sort of lineage with Elric. He's got the elfin features and is very long lived. He's like a lawful version of the Mil Milnibinians. Milnibinians? Oh, that one's going to haunt me. Um, so it's almost like they're they're definitely related on some ancestral level. But Coram's eyes are described. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, weren't they yellow on a purple, like the, the eyeball itself was purple or something? Um, you know, I don't remember that detail. Um, but everything was... But everything's very... Non-normal. It, it wasn't yes. what we would expect to see as, you know, a, a human hero. Yeah, Coram wasn't just a guy with like pointy ears. Right. Uh, you know, Corum was, you know, his his people live these enormously long lives and they're they're rather isolated from the world. They'll spend several hundred years composing a sonnet or you know, or or creating a painting. And, and so mm -hmm. they're very arts and philosophy and uh as I mean, it turns out, people really human beings really hate them. Yes, yes. And as it turned out, uh, that penchant for spending so much time on composing is a delay that, uh, well, Coram was really penalized for that. Uh, had he not spent the next four years trying to finish his uh, orchestral arrangement, he might have caught the destruction coming to his family's. Oh, yeah, that's that's the thing, right? The the book starts and then four years pass, sort of like mm -hmm. between paragraphs. This is like, well, you know, it's not an emergency. Uh, I'm going to try <laughs> to finish this, um, and and so that that along with like the emptiness of the, of the castle in which he lives, right, which once housed 500 people and now has 12, it feels like a a world that has passed by. There's this desolation that is conveyed by the the language that is just absolutely haunting on on his side of things. And then when when Moorcock starts to describe people, you know, man, slave of fear, arrogant in his ignorance, like wow, that that still resonates today. That that kind of painfully true in in yeah. a lot of ways. Yeah. And. Yeah. And and it really paints it, uh, it thus paints humanity as a very polar opposite uh, and to uh, to Corm and his people. And uh, it, now, Gusty Squid asks, uh, never having read Morcock, where where should one start? And uh, to that, I would answer: start with the first book of any of the series. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people would just say you know Elric because Elric. Is, is you know Michael, one of Michael Moorcock's best known characters, um, but you could you could start with this one actually made me interested in the rest of the series. Yeah, you could you could start with with any of of the various series like Quorum. Start with uh, the Knight of the Swords. He there's plenty of of just one one shot, you know, one and done novels of his that don't tie into this world that you certainly could uh, could leap into. Um, I like the character of Coram. He, you're right. He's more likable, probably yes. because he's not an agent of chaos. <laughs> yeah, no, e exactly. I think that's a that's a major portion of it. Is yeah. he is not 
he's not seeking to change the balance of the world. He's by the end, he realizes that he is seeking to bring balance back to the world because it is the lack of balance that is, has destroyed everything the way, you know, the, the gods of law once controlled this world and they lost control to the gods of chaos and now chaos reigns and they've been wiping everything out. And at, at the end of the day, if there's balance, then everybody gets to live and let live. And so that's, that's kind of a big thing. I think if, if I'm not mistaken, Elric started out fairly um, uh, naive and experienced just like Coram did, but the path he ended up taking diverged in, as the polar opposite. Well, Elric, you know, as Michael Moorcock has said, Elric represents you know, teenage angst, and there's there's a lot of it. Um, so, so very very different. And, and and here we have we have a hero that really has it rough, right? I mean, by by the end of this first book, his his family and his people are are all dead in part because he delayed doing things for four years so he can finish you know some uh, some sheet music and uh, orchestral arrangements he loses a hand he loses an eye he is absolutely brutalized through this and and just kind of keeps pushing forward anyway and it's it, it reminds me in, in gaming terms, you know, more successful adventures are not when you just walk cleanly to the end without any real challenge, but when you're beaten, broken and bloody and barely make it. And, and that's the sort of story this is you know, by the, by the end of it, you're like, well, there's two more books in the series. So Coram's not going to die, but wow. How is Coram not going to die as he's slipping into shock? Because magic items. <laughs> <laughs> well, but even before that, uh, he escaped the, the multi- torture via essentially planar step. Yeah, he, which is a power innate to the Vada. Um, so you can see they've got a that little edge of magic. They've they've got well, geez, uh, nigh immortality. Well, for as long as they live, yeah, I'll say nigh immortality, which means not immortal. Nigh invincible, not invincible. He ends up finding, I mean, finding love in a way that actually evokes sympathy from the reader. Yeah. Oh, well, now I have to leave and do this, and I really don't want to, but if I can, then then this would be done and I can go back home with her and, and stay. And uh, I don't, I don't know who's the bigger villain at this point. Um, well, let's, Stool? <laughs> you're, you're definitely getting, getting way ahead of me there. Um, you know, my, my thinking is, and it's odd because of course our, our protagonist is, is most certainly not human. But there is a real humanity to him in that he is not presented as an indestructible hero. I mean, they burn out his eye with a hot iron, he faints, which is which is you know, pretty much what a what a, an ordinary person would do, Fair. as opposed to like the super heroics you normally see in appendix and literature. So he is more approachable and easier to, uh, to sort of connect with because of that. More identifiable, yeah. Yeah. 
and easier to identify with. And then when you're, you're talking about the way he the way he escapes that torture by slipping through, there's this whole you know multiversal or multi layered universe that is going on in the story where where the various facets of, of the uh, Eternal Champion are and things of that nature, and the way that his people used to be able to see all of these different layers. And, and kind of switch their gaze back and forth. And they no longer can, but for brief moments, he is able to see into the other realms and he steps into that other realm. And it really, it, it really kind of adds a lot of flavor to the story in that, yes, he, he escapes by, by sidestepping in, into another portion of the universe that is unseen into a higher dimension or, or such, and then moving back. And that, that really gets interesting when all of a sudden you have the brown man who can see him despite the fact that he has stepped across. And, uh, and, and the brown man, of, brown man of Lar, who's kind of this, this bestial creature, yeah. is there to rescue him uh, at the behest of its master, which, of course, we will we'll talk about it a little bit later. Well, and, and his master heals him, and you don't really realize who it was. Exactly. We can kind of get to that yeah. part later, right? Yeah. Um, uh, and then he's dropped off pretty much at this castle in the middle of nowhere. And when the tide is high, they're completely isolated and safe from everything else. Well, and, and that was... Paradise for him, basically, as well, a good place for him to heal. Well, and that was that was a really neat detail because it's the sort of thing that you don't often see in in fiction, but mm-hmm. it's it's vitally important you, and and the sort of thing that appears in the real world, like uh, Mont Saint Michael in Normandy, right? So you've you've got this this bastion of safety as long as the tides in. And so when you've got the enemy forces coming across this causeway as, as the tide rolls out, it's like, okay, then we're going to go out. We're going to talk to them a lot. We're going to delay them until the tide starts coming back in. They probably won't fall for it twice, but they might fall for it the first time. Absolutely. I, that was one of my favorite details was, was that balancing of, of things that ah. real fortresses are built that way. You know, back in the day, whenever possible, that, that level of protection. And of course, the lady of the castle is a widower, or no, widow, sorry. Yes. I, I'm apparently not quite as awake as I thought I was. <laughs> uh, and her, her, there doesn't seem to be anything amiss with her until the, the, <laughs> the enemies start showing up in the low tide. And that's when she goes and starts researching all of her late husband's uh, notes on, shall we say, defense. Yeah, right. Just just that, that entire scene where as, as things are building and the, and the chariots ride out and they th- and they they dump the body, of of the brown man onto the causeway having having slain him and that there's there's this kind of feeling of, of tragedy to the character from the first time you meet him uh 
It's like oh. sir sir or, or or it's probably Cornish. Um and it's it its fate sort of reflects the fate of several others that that come to Corm's aid during the story. It's very it's very anti-Tolkien in that way. There's no gradually growing fellowship. Instead, there's those who come to his aid and fall by the wayside if they're fortunate enough to still be alive um, as, as the story progresses. They, they serve almost like a booster rocket, right, for, for a launch. They're like, okay, we can, we can help you get through this, but they help. It's not this, this uh, machination on the part of the author to write himself out of the corner by, by putting in a character that can just do everything. It is they they enhance what Corm is doing and help him move forward, and uh, and for most of them it ends very, very, very poorly. Mm-hmm. And let's just say Glandeth is an easy villain to hate. Yes, it's easy to hate. Um, yeah. Um, so Ralina is hidden away somewhere, and all of a sudden. <clears throat> Pardon me. All of a sudden, Glandeth's troops begin fleeing in terror as this ghostly image and ghastly of a ship holding its drowned sailors with Ralina's husband captaining them. Uh, the dead husband, of course. Yes. And I swear these are the existential dimensional sailors that you will find in the DCC core book. <laughs> that's that's fair. Uh, thinking of of gaming as as Corum is granted the, uh, was the, magic it, the hand of Quill and the eye of Rin. Like I wonder if Brian Bloom Vecna was was inspired by this hand and eye combo. Well you have to lose a hand and take out an eye to use these things. And uh, you know there's there's I bet, I bet Brian Bloom was reading some Appendix N uh, <laughs> at this. It's, yeah, it's just brutal. And, and all of this is still before he has gotten to, you know, the, the, the domain, if, if you will, of, of the Knight of the Swords of Ariok. And or, that's, uh, or, or have been being given these gifts to, go on the quest for Ariok's heart. Well, and I, I think I think we can we can both agree that these gifts are only partially gifts, right? I mean the the eye which which sees you know, so many things that he has to keep a patch over it mm-hmm. so that he is not just stunned by what he can see. And the hand that sorta has a mind of its own to begin sorta? with. Sorta? No sorta. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, yeah, the, the hand definitely has a has a mind of its own. Well, yeah. at times, right? Sometimes the uh, the hand does what he wants it to, and other times it's doing its own thing until it's done. And sometimes it saves him. Sometimes it horrifies him. <laughs> yeah, let's see. Sometimes, I think that's it, it, sometimes it just brutalizes people around him. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. and and so so much of Coram's fate. In this in this first story is is out of his control. He is a man that is is beset on all sides by 
powerful, powerful forces that he is that he is trying to maneuver his way through towards an end goal. And I think like every every time he's he's set on a path, there is a new, even greater threat and challenge that that throws him that throws him back. Right? He's okay. I've got my feet under me. I, I can do this. Oh well, now things are going horribly again, and it's is it's, it's a little bit like real life. <laughs> well, yeah. well, so is the description of of men earlier, like like yeah. I said above. But uh, but yeah, it's it's not it's not frustratingly so, right? It's it's not just a constant two steps forward, three steps back sort of thing. It depends. It depends on when you want to say that all of these troubles stem. Um, let's hear it for procrastination by four years <laughs> well but but it's it's not just that right and that didn't cause everything what i'm saying is as the yeah. story progresses as as he begins moving forward there are such great forces at work and and he doesn't really understand that as as the story starts that he is caught between the dueling forces of law and chaos and has been chosen essentially to reassert balance and so well yeah he has to be taught so that the reader can fully understand it. As oh well. yeah, and they teach them. I, I think all that right. was yeah, they, they take an eye, take a hand. Yeah, they teach them all right. They teach them a few yeah. things. Um, you meant what I knew, but I, I would actually say that uh, Shul. I I kept hearing the name and I kept thinking of it as S H U L or S H U U U L, um, as we know it in our gaming books as, as a god of shadows or mysteries. And to me, that that's just a, a perfect equation. Uh, I was actually surprised to learn that it was spelled S-H-O-O-L. But I suppose that is a, a much more um, straightforward pronunciation. Because there's an ooh. Yes. Uh, right? Uh, and man, you, you want to hate him. You know he's, he's manipulating. The, you know there's machinations behind the scenes that you just know he's behind, but you can't really put your finger on it until he and until Coram finds the ultimate goal and is then told, "Oh, well, no, Shul sent all of us here to find it." Well, and and that's the thing, right? We talk about the ultimate goal. Before that, we get our first look at Ariok through the eyes of Coram. And what we see is is this grotesque and filthy, in a word, disturbing. You know, <laughs> that, you know, it, it, lying, lying in filth and rubbish, and it's sort of fitting, right? Since Corm is not a champion of chaos, but it is so different from our first encounter with Ariok through the eyes of Elric, yeah. where he is this very refined and gorgeous being, and. It really the the when I first got to that point, it really threw me for a second because I'm like, but but Ariac, I I've read about Ariac and Elric, and it, it's it, that's not him, but we later see him in that guise, and it's all about the various faces of chaos, which of course you don't don't necessarily have to play by any structural rules. And the one that was presented to Corum first was this enormous figure with Mabden just crawling in and out of uh, like his beard and around the hair on his chest and yeah, picking, oh, it's just... picking off bits of 
dead skin to eat and just it is it is <laughs> it is some disturbing imagery and it really serves to yeah. to set the set a very different tone you know in in elric arioch is is his patron arioch you know aids him and uplifts him arioch has no interest in doing that here and yet is still is still well, a relatively good host for someone who is absolutely uncaring about whether Quorum lives or dies, right? Right. Actually, we would really prefer that Quorum would just have the decency to die, but since he hasn't yet, he will at least be a good host. I will, I will let you tour. I, I, I will show you everything. Oh, except, no, you don't want to see that part. That part's boring. You don't want to see that. Uh, clue, clue, clue. Yeah, <laughs> despite being a god, not necessarily godlike intelligence, uh, throw, throws out mm-hmm. the major clues there. But the the interplay between Coram and Arioch and, and Arioch talking about how the gods of chaos had wrested you know, power here from the, the gods of law. And so they were they were remaking things and to do that they were wiping out the other races and and it was, seas were boiling, just doing all sorts of horrifically vile things. But Yeah, but we're done with the Vodra now. Yeah, but but to them, right, I mean, it was, in some ways, it was almost Lovecraftian cosmic horror in that there was nothing personal in it whatsoever. The gods of chaos just, you know, they, they picked up their, their ant farm, they shook it up, and they wanted to see new paths and, and new trails. They didn't really care about, about, you know, humanity. They didn't care about Quorum's people. It was all just about... We want to see something new entertain us, and, and this is boring. So we're going to do something different, and and just that level of, of apathy. So, do we get to tell about the end as well? You go right ahead, because because yeah, the the end of the end of the story is uh, is quite interesting. I I, I would say that uh, Shul gets his just desserts and is reduced to a powerless uh, moron. And that is a just enough fate for my liking because killing him would have been way too simple. Yeah, no, and, and it would have been it would have been too formulaic as well, right? I mean, you know, you've you've betrayed me, you've done mm-hmm. all these things, and so now I rise up and slay you. And really the core this this first book in the Quorum series is all about sort of subverting those expectations of the various high fantasy tropes. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm not kidding. I'd, I'd probably listen to it again tomorrow while I'm working. It's, yeah. it, it's well, that good. Um, and then we well, actually, I might move to book two. We'll see. Um, you're probably on audible. Um, um, but, but they do. But then we have that, that final, you know, that final face off against Arioch. And it's not, you know, Corum slays the god sort of thing. Because even after, you know, as, as we said at the beginning, right, the only thing Corum needs from Arioch is his heart. And even after that, we have Arioch's voice whispering, you know, you have gained the, the or you have earned the enmity of the gods of chaos. You, know, you, have, you have made enemies of us. 
And then he has that, that vision of the sweeping vista of the forces mm-hmm. of law and chaos marching against each other under their banners. And, and that is where he learns his true place in, in, the, in the cosmos. Oh. And the, yeah, the eight-pointed star of chaos is absolutely where we get it for our games. Oh, yeah, no, no doubt. <clears throat> and uh, the single arrow of law. And we do end up meeting Arkin, Lord of Law. Yes, who is the giant of Lar, who is the master of the brown man. And, and which makes, which in, in my mind made the brown man even more tragic. You know, he, when, when we meet him and he's like, well, my, my master is, is not here. He is hidden away. And, mm-hmm. and so because his master is gone, the brown man suffers and the brown man is, is killed uh, brutally. And it's because the gods of law were overthrown by chaos. And he, he does reveal that taking out Ariok is one step toward law regaining control of the 15 planes. So- which, which is ultimately not Coram's purpose, right? <laughs> Coram's purpose is to establish right. balance between the two. So it'll be, it'll be fun going through because of all so we, the- We've got five restored in this one jump then. Well, it's, it's one of those things where, I mean, we've got, we've got five more books, right? And I have, I've read a lot of Michael Moorcock. I actually never read the Quorum stories. So oh, I'm, wow. looking for, I'm looking forward to reading the rest of them and seeing where we actually end up. Do we end up with reestablished balance? Are we going to end up with law ascendant or are we going to end up with chaos triumphant? Um, you can't really tell because Michael Moorcock will always yeah. be guessing in that fashion. And but to anyone who hasn't read it yet and wants to, I mean, yeah, there's spoilers through throughout the show, but there are still parts that we haven't delved on that are the book's 52 years old. We're allowed, right? we're allowed, we're allowed uh, spoilers. <laughs> that, that's not where I was going with this though. Um shoot. Uh never mind. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you trod over my brain. Um, but it's it's just it's one of those things where at the end of the day, Corum is a champion of balance. So it doesn't matter that, that Arkin is like, yes, and, and you know, we can retake this world. That's not Corum's cosmic purpose. That is not the purpose of this facet of the eternal champion. And, uh, and I, I think it's gonna be a really um, fun journey to. Oh, uh, it, it is hard, though, if you are trying to look up information on just this one book. It's hard to get the info just on this one story, because the first three books tend to get blended together in a lot of synopses. So that will provide spoilers for the entire series. And I don't know if that will affect anybody's opinion on whether or not they want to pick this book up or not. Well, you know, they're like I said, the the first three books in in the two trilogies, right? Are about I'm just trying pages. to have a heart, Bob. Come on. No, I'm just <laughs> I'm just saying they're each about 150 pages. They're not long reads. You don't right. really need to to research about them. You can just sit down and and read them. They're they're a nice quick read. You yeah, can read, they're approachable. Read one of them in an afternoon. 
they're, they're approachable. There's not a whole lot in the way of uh, mystery vocabulary, shall we say. Uh, no. There are some Cornish terms thrown in, but they're easily researchable. Yes, there are there are there are, are words in there that you might find unpronounceable, but uh, but they tend to be names, so you're still mostly okay. Uh, and, and Michael Warcock is very descriptive in his prose, so it really makes for a a solid, very visual read. Indeed. So uh, greatly enjoyed it. Looking forward to reading more. Yes. Okay. Um. Yeah. I, I kind of want to just stop the show now and go reread it myself. But we have things to cover first. Yes. Uh, for one, uh, Sanctum Media, in partnership with Ugandan game designer Ashraf Braden, have so far released four microzines and a new line of DCC items. Coming soon is the fifth, which will be the Abyssesi, better known as the Night Dancers. If you've ever had the desire to confront your players with magic using cannibals from African folklore, now's your chance, or at least very soon will be. Uh, if you've never felt that desire, um, don't worry, you will. Uh, <laughs> each of these monthly releases also include pronunciation notes and audio clips provided by the author himself for those wanting to get the most out of these Ugandan creations. And did we mention they only cost a single dollar? All Sanctum proceeds go directly to Ashraf. They do not pass go. They do not spend or collect anything further, unfortunately. But uh, <laughs> and, and with that said, before we move on to our monthly giveaways, I must announce we have had some issues with mail goblins. And Ooh. so the prizes have been delayed in getting into the post. Uh, that has been corrected. Everything will be back on track by, by week's end. And things will be once more flying forth from the the, uh, the post of the Sanctum Sequorum. Uh, located in a swamp. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, yeah. The proverbial, not so proverbial swamp land in Florida. Mm -hmm. uh, and with that said, it is time once again to announce a winner along with our pair of giveaways. Uh, one for a live audience, the other for all of our viewers and listeners. So that is right. It is once again time to enter the Sanctum Sequorum's very own... Prize Closet of Mystery. Jen? Uh, well, let's start with announcing the winner of last month's final giveaway. Uh, it was Nerves by Lester Del Rey. And this month's winner is Michael Cathro. We'll be emailing you shortly, Michael, to get details, mailing address, all that good stuff. We'll get your prize out to you. And moving on, we'll come up to... Pardon me? Yes, we have slain the goblins. Yes, yes. Uh, we come to tonight's live giveaway. As a reminder, everyone watching the show live is eligible for both the live giveaway and our monthly drawing. And uh, tonight's first prize is an ace double. Ooh, you know those fancy blue and white spines. This is featuring Gallagher's Glacier and Positive Charge by authors Walt and Lee Richmond. And the copy goes to the live viewer who can first correctly give the answer to this question. It will not be a poll on your screen. Uh, there are several names for the second Quorum Trilogy, some of which we talked about earlier. Which of the following is not one of these? 
Is it A, the Silverhand Trilogy? Is it B, the Quest of the Eternal Champion? Is it C, the Chronicles of Korum? Or is it D, the Prince with a Silver Hand? We need Jeopardy music. Yeah, then then this goes on YouTube and we get a copyright strike. That wouldn't be good. Okay, so if you want to type in for our live viewers, uh, type in your guess now. We can go ahead and, and dole out this ace double. Uh, a, go a ghostly squid has guessed, <laughs> has guessed D, but D is incorrect. The Prince of the Silver Hand is one of the titles. Do we have anyone else? Any any other guesses there? Yeah, we've we've got a handful of people here in the in the chat. They're just not very active. They're not. So. Well, while we're waiting for some more entries, Jen, why don't you uh, tell our tell all of our listeners about our other giveaway? Yeah, we we can table this one for a sec. If you are watching the show and didn't win the trivia question, uh, or if you're listening to a replay in the lead up to our next episode, you can enter to win our monthly drawing simply by dropping an email to thehub at sanctum.media with your name. That's T-H-E-H-U-B at sanctum.media. Entries should have the subject line of prize closet of mystery. And what's this month's prize? This month's prize is Ancient My Enemy, DAW 190 by Gordon R. Dixon. Yes, indeed. We've, we still have a guest room of mysteries. <laughs> we should prize be doing more of these. guest room of mystery. <laughs> okay. Next, for uh, all of you who've been storing up those channel points here, uh, you get to help us vote on what we're going to read next month. Will it be... Uh, oh, I like the way this is going. We have the Queen of the Swords from Michael Moorcock, part of the Chronicles of Coram. We have the second Book of Swords from Fred Saberhagen. We remember the first one. That was really good. We've got John Belair's The Face in the Frost, another title directly from Appendix N. And ooh, Manly Wade Wellman, Who Fears the Devil? Something so, like a little silver job. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, all right. Drop down on that pole. Mm. I, don't, I don't know. Um, mm. Mm. Oh, we've got a little bit in there. I gotta like boost my my votey points, I guess. Um, oh, for those of you away, uh, the poll is on the drop down menu. You got about thirty seconds left. Queen of Swords is Michael Moorcock. Second Book of Swords is Fred Saberhagen. Face in the Frost by John Belairs, and Who Fears the Devil by Manly Wade Wellman. Hmm. And hmm. No, Shade, Shade of Icarus. No, sadly, Silverhand Trilogy is also one of the uh, one of the names for in our uh, in our poll. <laughs> Let's see what other guests come in, and in the meantime, we will be reading Who Fears the Devil. A little bit of Silver John. 
Okay, something tells me the uh, the movie adaptation isn't going to fly for this one. <laughs> I'm going to have to actually read it. Oh, no, 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 no. Um, yeah, the, the, the legend of, of Hillbilly John is... Uh, yeah, no. Legendary, yes. Yes. That's that's a that's a phrase for it. I I can I can get cliff notes from Michael Curtis, right? Or <laughs> the chain coffin. Well, meanwhile, you know, Shada Vickers and, and Ghostly Squid, you have both you have both guessed incorrectly, but you know, there's only two options left. So uh, you, you can't <laughs> be guessing here. We'll we'll get things finished up. One of you, it looks like one of you is going to win an ace double. Well, somebody is. We're not splitting it in half. If (laughs) yeah, no. If if not, it's going to uh, to roll over to our uh, to our general winner. So let's see here. Come on, guys, give it. Oh yes, toast. It's it's B or C. Heads, heads is B. (laughs) Hello, yes, toast. The, the, the poll question was, there are several names for the second quorum trilogy. Which of the following is not one of those names? And we have we have narrowed it down to B, the quest of the eternal champion, or C, the chronicles of quorum. What is your guest? Hello, yes, toast. B or C. And if you win, there B, we go. <laughs> which is correct. Hello, yes, toast. You, are, you have won. Let's see, this is... Ace double two seven two three five, which is Gallagher's Glacier and Positive Charge by Walt and Lee Richmond. So hello, yes toast. Just email us at thehub at sanctum.media and I'll type that in here. And let us know your info so we can drop this to you in ye old media mail. We will get that out to you, and uh, congratulations. And again, uh, for all of our listeners, our, our live viewers, and the, the podcast and YouTube folks, uh, drop us a line at the hub at sanctum.media with your name, put prize closet of mystery in the subject line, and you could win this month's giveaway prize of Ancient My Enemy by Gordon R. Dixon, another beautiful Daw Yellow Spy. So next week, the Sanctum Socorum returns. Uh, join oh, us along with, us. <laughs> with uh, Keeper Mark as we discuss Lee Brackett's tale, The Hounds of Scaife. And then we will return, the reading room will return to our regularly scheduled day and time on June 27th. Ooh, okay. Dive into Who Fears the Devil. Ooh, and that'll be immediately after the Origins Game Fair. Yes. Uh, no ghosty squid. Uh, no, we we don't have a, we don't have a, a new title for our our special show, right? So, which is Sanctum notes, Live usually? Yes. So back back in the day, back before we were on Twitch, we had the Sanctum Squirm, we had the Sanctum Reading Room, and then we had a series of live specials of which we've done four now, which were Sanctum Squirm Live. Since all of our shows are now live, that name seems a little misleading and kind of redundant. And uh, so we're, we're looking at retitling Sanctum Live to to something a little bit. Uh, Sanctum specials. I mean, if we gotta just cut corners, we'll, it, we'll it, figure it out. But but no, no uh, new title has, has been has been decided yet. Sanctum Sacorumer. And see, this is why. And, and 
while we are interested in uh, in suggestions, this is why we're not putting it to a, into a internet poll because otherwise we end up with sanctum McSanctum face. And uh, oh yes, Tish, I am not laughing at your suggestion. I'm laughing because this triggers Bob every time. <laughs> <laughs> and and. I enjoy these moments. <laughs> Sanctimonious Sacorumer. Yeah, see this. Yep, is yep. <laughs> Sanctum Sanctimonious. Yeah, okay. I, I see what you're getting at there. Uh, Sanctum. McSanctum. And of course, Elena is in favor of Sanctum McSanctum Faith. This is see, this is why we do, this is why we're not putting this up as a poll. <laughs> no bony McBook face. Sorry. <laughs> but, uh, but, <laughs> I know it's it, entertaining. But it might be a while before we have another one since those are since those are special shows. We did have one this month, of course, uh, with, mm-hmm. with Zachary Rosenberg and uh, and his book "Hungers." Hungers is old as this land, which was which a, was a great weird West. Yeah, yeah. So um, so we will Jen and I, along with Mark, will see you next week. And uh, Jen, any final thoughts? Um. Don't be uh, don't be misled by oh books reading. I mean, I'm sorry if you were hurt in school. Uh, reading really can be fun. Please like it. I, I tend to think our audience already does because um, gamers tend to read. I don't. I don't know if you're going to reach if you're going to reach the people that need to hear that message the most. Read Jack Vance too. Dang it. <laughs> yes, yes. There is there's a lot of great stuff out there. Appendix N is wonderful. And uh, in the meantime, be inspired. Have a good night. Night out. Sanctum Sacorum Reading Room has been a production of Sanctum Media.